0: So there's a question someone asked, but I left it in my room, but I remember it and that question is, what clings? Would you like to answer (laughs) (laughs) or not?
1: Um, Well, what clings? Mm. Craving clings, (laughs) (laughs) what craves? ignorance craves <laughs> what clings what adheres why it's yeah. mm, really a question but it's really you, know, you say citta clings but, but it's uh, the actual clinging property is the ignorant craving so it's uh, sort of trying to craving trying to Find, complete, hold, have, gain, become, defend, protect, you know, so and so that, whatever you put it. Karma tanha, sense craving, bhava tanha, craving for solidity to become something. Vibhava tanha, craving to annihilate, avoid, escape, not be anything, not meet anything. Hmm. How, and that's uh, so. This is this kind of reflex. Um, what is that reflex based upon? Not being in touch, not knowing, not not apprehending, not dwelling in, you know, in the deathless, or not having access. So. That's what sets it all up, sankara, vinyana, vinyana pachaya, namarupa, namarupa, pacheya, salayatana, so it goes through the cycle. Mm. And so you know, dependent upon not knowing, obscuration, obscurity, uh, lack of gnosis, lack of penetration, there is this activations. Mm. Activations arise, Mm. Chitta is activated, Uh, activated that plays out in terms of the manifold sense consciousness, six spaces is looking for something in there, establishes that Mm. and starts Mm. feeling and so it's that, that Ignites uh, craving mm. thirst thirst thirst. So that's adherence mm. to what what can be um, apprehended, and unfortunately, what can be apprehended is inconstant, changeable, uncertain, impermanent not satisfying (laughs) therefore it does that (laughs) around that movement the sense of an identity an identity so it's not that I cling but clinging generates an I am and so the, the I am formation depends upon this reflex. So it's not like you've got to stop clinging. That doesn't work. Because then you cling to an idea that you should be someone who doesn't cling or get rid of it. So it's to be fully deeply understood, the mechanism. Yeah. So that's how we, we contemplate. What is this I am dependent upon? Volitions, I'm an agent who can affect things. I'm someone who's impacted by things. I'm someone who dwells within a realm of sense consciousness. Explore those. They don't add up. If I'm the agent, how come I can't actually have effective agency? That is, all kinds of impulses arise that I can't fulfill. Some impulses arise that actually are really pretty shocking. <laughs> and I don't you know, some impulses arise that are completely erratic. So the activations aren't you know, they're not under my control. So what kind of an agent is that? So the sense of self as being an agent. It's a very incompetent agent. <laughs> it's very erratic, yeah. You know. So, but there is agency. So take, take this phantasmagorical sense of identity out of that, say so put it to one side, who knows who it is? But we know that, we know this agency. So it's just, so, so when you take the I am out of it, less intensity of, of reaction to that. This, this is it. so then that quality of steadiness this disidentification means there can be a cooling of, of the agency. And the chitta begins to sense, it's better this way than that way. Better this way, better to let go of that, better to lift up that way. So there's realignment. If I am the one who is impacted by experience, I am the one who is being hit by experience. And you know, we say, well, which experience, which experience? And you, mm-hmm. The things that don't impact us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very partial what we're impacted by. It's kind of, you know, memories pop up. You know, thoughts happen, sudden you know, impact happens. And who's this permanent entity they're happening to? It's just the sh- the shock or contact contact happens impacted contact happens that's true mm. but the I am about it is a fallacy mm. the dwelling within the sense of you know the, the consciousness is so I am the seer okay I'm the one who sees. What happens when your eyes close? Are you the one who sees? No. So what happened to the seer when your eyes are closed? Became the listener. Okay, you're the listener then. But the listener's in a different position than the the seer. The seer, see there. The hearer, the listener. Okay, close the ears. I'm the touched, that being which is touched. That being which is touched, if you feel it, is a different being than the one who, who sees. We kind of deduce they're the same, but actually the experience is rather different. The touched one is much more vulnerable, much more sensitive than the seer. So, And it's always only arises dependent upon those particular realms of consciousness. So it's not an independent self, is it? It's a formation that arises dependent upon different levels of, different realms of consciousness. You know. And even say, you know, not just sense consciousness, but even mind consciousness, you get different levels of mind consciousness, different stations of it. The angry me, the happy me, the meditating me, the composed me. There's a lot of me's there and they don't seem to add up. <laughs> because they're all dependently arisen upon, upon consciousness. So we can say, yes, there's a dependent arising dependent on consciousness. That doesn't make up for a very convincing permanent self, does it? <laughs> because they're different and they keep shifting and changing. Where's the permanent entity within all that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How the right? Where's the permanent so it's it's always the shuffling that goes on to establish that. So you're just seeing it as it is. And then what is what is who's the clinger? It yeah. depends where there's a pleasant feeling the clinger arises. Unpleasant feeling the clinger arises. So <laughs> is it the same? It's a mechanism, isn't it? It's a mechanism. So who's the one who does it? You can't find it. But you can find the mechanism. So say so just just stop inferring what you don't need to infer and deal directly with what happens. Deal directly with what happens. It's a very empirical, pragmatic approach. The Buddha doesn't say there's no such thing as a self. He doesn't say, there is such a thing as a self. He says, there's a condition arising of that experience. You don't need to focus on that, really. You need to focus on the mechanisms that, cause, that generate it, the conditions that generate it. Because in this way, in this way, you'll eliminate suffering. There'll be elimination of suffering. So you won't say, who suffers? Well, I'll tell you who suffers. I'll drop a hammer on your toe. And you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> you won't ask these silly questions anymore.
0: I think that's enough on <laughs> <laughs> I could say something, I'm not going to. Next one. Yeah. Dear Laura, you mentioned moving back and forth between the path and the world. Could you talk a little bit more about your experience? Well, I think that example that I gave, as we practice, we can see how subjective what we take the world to be is. Seems seems to be a certain way, but when we inquire into it, that perception can change. So I think it's valuable to check our assumptions or bring awareness to our assumptions, our beliefs about who someone is or what a system is. Recognize What we overlook, in terms of what we're assuming to be the case, do it so much about our own minds, our own hearts, our own bodies. So the path I see is really the qualities, the practices the Buddha suggested, and trying them out as we have been doing in relationship to our experience. Of the world and it's sort of approaching it like a, a process of discovery and learning, it's a learning experience and how valuable it is not to think it's all about the world and the state of the world and just be depending on that there's a sutta, it's a very profound sutta, but so perhaps a simple apprehension of it, but uh, it's where the Buddha talks, he gives this phrase, uh, those who see that things arise can't deny that they exist, there's a sense of the world and uh, experience, experiencing, that we, we connect with in, in the moment, And those who see the changingness or the passing of the world of things can't assert that it exists. And then he went on to say, I teach dependent origination. I don't teach that the world either exists or doesn't exist. I teach dependent origination. What seems real and substantial So for myself it's an attitude of respect for what is what is arising. It's not denying the arising, but also not completely believing without endeavouring to understand more that arising. Do you want to add anything to that?
1: No. I don't think so. It's a lovely Sutta, Kachayana Kota Sutta. Um, beautiful. Recommend reading it. It's really quite uh, lovely. The um, Buddha says he teaches the way, the middle. You, know, you can't assert the existence or the non-existence of the world. You say the world arises dependent upon, and it um, goes on. You know, teaches that the way in the middle, this is the middle way. There's a beautiful, kind of lovely non-positional quality to that middle. It's neither affirmative nor denying. <laughs> it says, you know, people get caught up in dogmas and doctrines and then they cling to one extreme or the other. The Tathagata teaches the middle, which is, um, avoids these extremes. It's this dependent upon this, is this, dependent upon, and with the ceasing of this is the ceasing of that. Uh, And and, you know, it's just so so pruned, you know, (laughs) pared down to just, you know, that lovely line, you know, all this stuff you don't have, to just falls away. Um, And really, that's the basis of a whole the school of Madhyamika philosopher Nagarjuna kind of just did a whole extrapolated the whole school of buddhism out of that one one sutta <laughs> beautiful Kachayanagota sutta in the Sanyuta Nikaya mm-hmm. lovely just the the conciseness of the, of the buddha mm. so impeccable mm.
0: Okay. What is meant when a person says someone is their teacher? Is it a formal or informal arrangement? Are there differences across traditions? Is it intuitive? Thank you.
1: Hmm. I guess a teacher is the person, it ignites the faith, ignites the indriya. Oh, and of course, it could be a, you know I mean, so it's a person, but actually, it's a particular occasion when a, you know a voice, an embodied voice, ignites the indriya and gets your faith arising. And particularly if that's just happening fairly, you know, regularly on a reliable basis, you think, oh well, this person clearly is is a teacher to me, a teacher for me, and that's a heart connection. Uh, these things can be can be formalised. You know, you can take uh, dependence on a teacher, which enters a kind of relationship. There's a formality of that that can occur in certain situations. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think that I completely agree. It's that sense of faith. Yeah. Gets in. Yeah. Gets drawn.
1: Yeah.
0: And often in the beginning of suttas, many suttas, there is this description of people drawing near to the Buddha. Mm-hmm. You want to come, want to hear more. <laughs> and that being drawn is a first step. And then it can get so taken with placing that with a person. Uh, And then that's something to really be understood. And it's both are needed, it's like there's, the faith is evoked, and there's feeling, a quality of faith in and of itself. And how we, I suggest, because we're all unique, there's a uniqueness to the process of understanding for each of us, because we're all unique, so that how we take take another's understanding into our, into weaving it with our own understanding. The, yeah, trust what guides us with that, who we're drawn to and how we hold that relationship, or the teachings, or you know, whatever nourishes us. So we've got a quote here, yeah, nice quote. Dear Arjan and Laura, regarding the comment earlier about two being the most elemental unit, reminded me of this short poem. The one without second is emptiness. The other one makes it true. Rabindranath Tagore. What? Rabindranath Tagore.
1: The one without second is emptiness. The other one makes it true. Okay? The one without. This is Rabindranath Tagore, is a great Bengali mystical poet there it is I
0: think it's about the witness the witness the the seeing dear teachers can you please speak about how we can skillfully help others in our lives particularly in learning to slow down and be more present for their lives (laughs)
1: Well, depends on relationship, you know, if there's an opening it's not always possible to I think whenever one gets into this sense of how to make something happen for another person it gets quite tentative, you know The opening how to help others you know, there's certain times when there's an availability and you can't predict that. Like the person probably I'd most like to help was my mother. Nope. my brother. Nope. My nieces. Nope. <laughs> my father. Nope. <laughs> wasn't the one they didn't try. there just there wasn't an opening. And uh, so, or maybe there was, but they didn't let on. <laughs> but you know, it's. Uh, You know, the person is a bit of a mystery, the citta is a reality and uh, the citta has a certain mission or specific quality and sometimes it's just not ready at this time, available at this time. What can you do? Well, you maintain empathy, uh, maintain empathy, maintain connection. Uh, and see what opening is possible. If you live your own path and practice properly, impeccably, with integrity, those who can pick it up, those who can see it, will see it, will pick it up. That's as good as you can get, really. I remember even Sariputta the great hunt, you know. I think mothers are, mothers are just difficult really. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't say that, but he <laughs> he knew he was about to, he knew his death day was coming, so he thought I'd better go home and see my mum, you know. See if I can kind of you know, give her some before I pass away. So uh, Mum comes, he comes to see his mother Oh, this scruffy old monk, you know, you've been all this time, you scruffy old rag robe wearer, you're coming home for a decent meal. And you know, so he says, you know, <laughs> kind of they want you shape up kind of stuff. <laughs> so she wasn't ready. So she was kind of into the Brahma, Brahma deity. She was a kind of Brahma worshiper. And so the Sariputta, you know, he's there, okay, so he's really getting near his desk, so he's kind of lying down. And he died, and then all his Brahma deities come down to visit him. And his mom goes, Whoa! <laughs> 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 Whoa, look, Brahma deities are going to visit my son, my son! <laughs> Suddenly, there was an opening, you know. <laughs> Time was ripe. <laughs> any response to that
0: (laughs) for myself with this I think the main thing that's helpful is feeling that movement to help or that urge to help and what's driving that you know so I don't want this person I care about to suffer which is valid and Listening to what's true in that movement, what 's possible, but there's a certain point where it's not very helpful if you're suffering it's not very helpful <laughs> people around <laughs> who don't want you to suffer, not to blame that, but uh, it's this thing about and i you know, I very much have this myself of uh, that wanting, of not wanting people to suffer. But when I I went through an illness and I I could feel that with people who were with me, didn't want me to suffer, but I wasn't actually suffering so much as they feared I was. It's like the, the belief was actually obscuring. Well, I was suffering, but actually not in the way they Sometimes was assumed. So it's quite refreshing to be with people. Some of these could be quite light about it, or not to play it down, but just more comfortable with it in a way. Could let it be that way. Yeah. Mm. Even the Buddha
1: couldn't turn everybody on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he tried to help his own family, and stop them killing each other, and... Mm. <sighs> so, so, actually, trust and honor those longings of our heart, actually. not It's not like getting rid of the wanting, but just understanding the, the drives, what's driving that, and moving that. Because otherwise, you know, I, I constantly balancing my energy levels. I'm not good to anybody if I'm exhausted. I'm constantly on life's journey to balance that for me. uh, Yeah. How to let go of regrets and uproot the self. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just like that.
0: <laughs> I don't well, have to feel guilty. Huh? You okay with that?
1: Well, yes. I mean, there's things one can say, yeah. but um, what is regret, mm, remorse, regret? Mm. You know, when there's remorse or regret, then then it's stuck. A sense of a self, flawed, imperfect, idiot, foolish self arises, dependent upon that stuck memory. That stuck, uh, uh, yeah, that stuck memory. So the memory, the regret, has to be released, and this means that one returns, one cultivates, one returns to try to get specific. So it's not just this nebulous, sort of nebulous nagging feeling of inadequacy. You know, trying to get specific about it. What particular thing do you have that regret around? Uh, you know, it could be valid, it could be invalid, but there it is. You know, you could try. oh, well, everybody does that, but that that doesn't push it away. So it's not like that. Then you really return to that and try to locate. Okay, what was the specific problem there, Pacific specific? Well, there's a lack of empathy. There was indifference, there was um, reactivity. So these particular behaviors, the chitta reacted or dismissed or manipulated. And that was not good, not good. Not not beautiful, uh, not wholesome, and, uh, returning to that, so and then we can we learn, learn what triggered that? You know? and again, your memory is often very, very uh, flawed because we can always get a, a seemingly accurate picture, but the memory is not accurate at all, but the regret, the shadow. Or some of the shadow generates the memory, <laughs> and so really the, the uh, you know the final thing is this kind of quality of the Brahma Vihara. Yeah, so towards this chitta, towards the chittas of others, um, you know, goodwill, opening the heart, and, and experiencing dissonance, failure, uh, discord. And then the compassion, this one, that one. And, you know, if one does find one feels episodes that one's rehearsing in one's mind or repeating one's mind, then you should, however much a fallacy it is, then you, you know, one way is just to return to it and the being you feel you've harmed or hurt what that forms as. And then this is what you, you know, compassion, both ways way that way so we replace that contracted closure which is uh, the regret experience there's a a closure and the chitta does that to sort of shield itself from the uncomfortable feeling because it locks the uncomfortable feeling in so it's much better to just open out and um, it's what we call confession Um, opening out that experience. So then the heart that's open has a lot more resources to bring forth the metta-karuna qualities. And that's what you you suffuse um, through the whole of that episode or that memory. Mm. Mm. Really, you know, it's how you clear the self out of the mind I think we've touched into it really, it's it's acknowledging the dependent arising of it which forms around a certain intensification. So there's something unskillful, there's an intensification of, oh my goodness, and reactivity. So can we see unskillful action or we we feel it's unskillful, okay. And there's less identification with it. So we don't really get rid of a self what we do is begin to work on how identification happens how identification happens and the clinging uh, which isn't clinging because one likes something (laughs) not that kind of you know it's not just we attach to what we like no it's not what we like there's a mechanism that collects around where there's intensification of feeling Uh, pleasant or unpleasant that yeah as an intensification, so we've got to actually open to unpleasant feeling and pleasant feeling, as feeling, as feeling that moves, mm. Mm. and the perceptions that it generates, and the self impressions it generates. So the more that you can open to that, uh, and then the detachment or disengagement. We're not trying to prove ourselves. Change ourselves, explain ourselves, become something different. we're just stepping back from that. mind can open, and in dispassion, one is less activated by it because we begin to experience the sense of steadiness and, and you know compassion that comes with that. The dispassion, things cool down, and there's a possibility to relinquish you know, the unbearable. Mm. As the heart opens, it's like you have a thorn stuck in your your body. Mm. The heart closes around it to somehow try and defend itself from it. It doesn't, it sticks it in. (laughs) If you keep, you Oh, why is this thing here? I'm going to get rid of this thing. Something wrong with me. I shouldn't have this thing stuck in me. And it's well, who did it anyway? And why was it that way? And shouldn't be another way. And I can't. Trying the best I can to. i oh, forget about it. There you go. Open, open them. <laughs> it can drop out. That's that's the way one uh, cultivates.
0: Mm. thinking about, in relation to this, the benefit of hindsight. You know, looking back, it's like we assume we should have been able to know then, what we know now. (laughs) It's not a fair assumption. If we'd known it then, we would have done it then. (laughs) And I, I just want to say about regret and conscientiousness and and how there can uh, you know regret can have this pain of grief and conscientiousness can have a feeling it's more like sobering or cooling even it's got different feeling so it's almost like we we are aligning, and, and there's this sense of in our, our inherent goodness, not our, not an inherent wrongness. So. Yeah, dear teachers could you kindly offer some reflections on the distinction between taking ownership of karma, a good thing, and clinging to everything else, a bad thing. It would seem the task of clearing karma may offer some redemption for the arising of an otherwise problematic self. Thank you. So... what comes to mind two things is one there's a learning you see that there's this potential to learn about what nourishes us what doesn't nourish the chitta. so there's this lovely uh, image the Buddha gave of the king it's a king and then there's two cooks. One of them prepares different dishes for the king and he watches by the door what the king eats and what he leaves. And then the second cook does the same thing. He cooks different dishes for the king but he doesn't watch what the king eats and the Buddha goes on to say that these two cooks are like two salmoners, two practitioners, and they're both practicing the four foundations of mindfulness supplying, they're both cooking the meal but one of them isn't checking what's the effect of the food on the heart. So it's like we have this possibility of this process of learning and, and discovering what actually nourishes us and how to go towards that what we have faith in yeah this sense that there's a project it's quite hard to shift from that view that there's a there's a something that needs to be fixed and it's a it's a view that kind and probably maybe not what the person is saying but it's helpful to notice that orientation because it kind of it gets in the way of the process of uh, the Dharma qualities influencing the, the conditioned level. Do you want to add anything? Yep.
1: Yeah. Well. Well, the term karma refers to really two two aspects. One's called old karma, which is the inheritance, called literally vipaka karma, the inheritance of actions, past actions, and the other is called karma, which means the fresh action. Yeah. So, there's inheritance of past actions um, and even mm, being involved. In other people's actions, so sometimes you inherit social karma, group karma. Um, so this is inheritance, and the Buddha said, if you're trying to clear this up, you're going to be here forever. <laughs> you know, it's like it's just because there's huge possibilities. And so in a way, that I am owner to my karma. It's a it's a way of translating it, but it does mean I have to. Uh, um, acknowledge that, that inheritance, acknowledge the power of it. Because if I acknowledge it, the chances are got, I can be wary and study it and see the reactions that would called fresh karma. So, you know, I've got a sense of inadequacy or guilt or something from past deeds, and then I get sort of fresh karma as I start to get addicted to something in order to forget it. Or I'm compulsively driven to avoid that discomfort so on so on so you, so what can occur you can't clear past karma as such what can occur is not creating further dependent upon that that's quite actually that's a that's a manageable package <laughs> yeah so if it doesn't react to it doesn't keep acting upon it doesn't Shield oneself from it doesn't get these, just that's that's the inheritance, that's what's there. Then there's an increasing sense of uh, dispassion, because we're not reactive. There's an increasing sense of dispassion. The mind begins to move out from the karmic domain. So you know, the, the citta can withdraw from the karmic domain because. There's no longer any fire, there's no longer any fuel to keep the thing running, you know. It's been seen, acknowledged, understood. And whatever it takes to, to not link further action on it, you've got this wheel, cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. Old karma triggering fresh karma. Okay, so where does karma end? Where does fresh karma not take hold? Put it that way. It's not like trying to rub something out. It's just where and how does it not take hold? Where does the spark not land? Where does the wood not flare up? How does that happen? Well, briefly speaking, very briefly speaking, when there's no identification? That's putting it very briefly. When there's no clinging? That's putting it. Again, quite concisely, yeah. Uh, when there's a clear seeing, an acknowledgement, and a sense of this was actions, actions, reactions. There was no self in this. There's no self to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. And these are just terms you can contemplate. You know, because I'm just using words now. But that sense of there's a the chitta is no longer in that triggered mode, this is a possibility, the, uh, the chitta can rise or open out of the karmic domain and that really is the project, <laughs> yeah, the big project yeah. and it's possible. And uh, We might see that in certain senses. We might note that you know we might notice, oh, that particular thing. Yes, I. That's true. It, it doesn't get me. I've I've done. I've finished the conversation with that. I. Uh, it's the fire's gone out on that one. We can notice this in certain specific uh, um, circumstances or pieces of history. You know, I hope you can anyway. So. Mm, I mean, I remember the Dalai Lama. Somebody said, "Have you ever done anything wrong that you regret?" And he said, "Yes." Said, Does it bother you? No. <laughs> you know, I can remember it, but the memory doesn't jump on me. You know, if I cast my mind back, I can say, "Oh yes, that was," that, that. but it doesn't. The fire's gone out. It doesn't jump on me. It doesn't flare up. It doesn't haunt me. That's. So it's, you know, the spark, the fire's gone out, and so then you know that's a sort of specific incident in the sense of then what it's referring to are we not aware of it? yeah I'm aware of it um, did it happen yeah have you <laughs> the fire's gone out so is that And that is the image that is often used. The fire has gone out. And they say, which way did it go? (laughs) There is no answer to that. Where did the chitta go? You can't answer that because it has gone out. Where does the wind go when it drops? You can't answer that. But it can be experienced. So karma and the end of karma. It's another synoptic phrase to summarize what the Buddha taught. I teach karma and the end of karma. Mm. Or the non-arising of karma. Mm. And uh, If you're around tomorrow, I'll give you a book on it. (laughs) But (laughs) the most important thing is to to really uh, practice it. So when we come here, naturally, you know, because we're not doing a lot of new stuff, and one of the reasons to come on retreat is just to kind of be held in a way you can't quite follow your own, not only the sense contact, but your own patterns. You know, like, no, you get up at this time, you eat this time. So it's that, so in a way you're refraining from, you know, following the normal, personal habits they're not wrong but it's a sense of just being able to come off track and what this does apart from anything else renunciation it means all the the past karma you know comes in what you need to be sensitive to right like you know a locomotive pulling a load of carriages and then it stops and the carriages go thud 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 (laughs) so you know the old you know, what hasn't been resolved arrives. You think, okay, and then this is what we need the tools and resources to... to um, this is on the agenda. Mm. And it's that what it takes to take the pang, the, the swirling, the distress, the struggling out of that, till it's seen clearly, uh, acknowledged. Seeing with right view, held with compassion, held with faith, mindfulness exerts authority over it. Wisdom sees this is not self, and that's, that's the way the indriya work, in karma. Good for the night.